Thanks for joining the Inspired Churches podcast. If this is your first time listening in, we're glad you're here. For more information about our church, visit www.inspiredchurches.com. Now, let's listen to the word from Pastor Philip Mwella. Uh, if you have your Bibles, <laughs> Matthew 7. If you have your iPhone Bibles, you can turn there too. I'm just going to assume that you're, you're on your Bible if you're on your phone. Um, just going to assume on the side of grace and love. Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to start with verse 13. And we're going to see if this little thing holds up on me. I'm just, we, need, we need you guys to give a little bit more, okay? <laughs> You're giving, make sure that, you know. But uh, praise the Lord. The other one broke, and so we're just going to order another one. Let's make a note. Somebody make a note of that. Uh, <laughs> So just really quickly, uh, uh, we have been, I think, is this 12 weeks in the Sermon on the Mount? I mean, we've spent some time mining out the gold in the Sermon on the Mount. And so verse 13, we're going to be going over verse 13 today and and, um, several of the verses following it. But verse 13 is known as the beginning of the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you can imagine, Jesus is preaching a sermon, and he's finally stepping into his conclusion. Are you with me? So the teaching is finished, and now it's time for application. The teaching has been finished, and now it's time to call the hearers to a decision. And I just want to share a couple of things. Jesus is calling his hearers into a decision, much like I want to call you into a decision this afternoon. Jesus is saying, What will it be? Will it be the kingdom of darkness or will it be the kingdom of God for you? Will it be the culture of this world or will it be the culture of Christ? You see, wise preachers and powerful sermons always create crisis in the hearts of hearers. Do you know that? A good sermon and a good message always creates a crisis in the heart of a hearer. And you may say to yourself, well, that's kind of messed up, but why does the preacher or why does the sermon create a crisis in the heart of the hearer? The reason why we create crisis in the heart of the hearers is because the crisis creates an environment for the truth of God's word to confront any other false systems of belief that you might have built up inside of you. And nowhere is this more clearly seen than here on the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' conclusion Now, I want to say a couple of things. Today, it's kind of fashionable. Well, it's not fashionable to be extreme today. It's not very fashionable to be extreme. Uh, People prefer and like to be kind of uncommitted. Like, you know, they check the other box. Um, And a lot of times, what's really crazy is in today's survey, so back in the day, it just used to be, you know, check yes or check no. You know, it's either white or it's black, there's no in-between. But a lot of times in today's culture, we have surveys, and now they give you one to five, and you can kind of check a three, or check kind of in that middle ground. You guys know what I'm talking about? Or maybe it's not, well, yes or no, but you can check maybe the box that says, I don't know. (laughs) That's kind of the culture um, that we've we've kind of created for ourselves in this day and age. 
It's kind of this in-between, kind of uncommitted, I don't know, I'm just going to stay right here in the middle. And so the most popular paths tend to be the middle path because it keeps us from being labeled. It keeps us from having to make a choice on one side or the other. It kind of keeps us safely in this place where nobody can tell us or nobody can look at us and say we're one way or the other. We like the comfort of not having to make a decision. And even though the popular path tends to be the middle path, a lot of people enjoy that path because if you're on one side or the other, you can run the risk of being called maybe an extremist or a fanatic. In fact, I was uh, looking at a couple of quotes this week, and I actually had to post one on Twitter because I just thought it was really good, and it was by a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He said this. Now, let me see if you agree with this. He says this. The present age is so flippant that if a man loves the Savior, he is a fanatic. And if he hates the powers of evil, he's a bigot. I'm going to say that again. Charles Spurgeon said, the present age is so flippant that if a man loves the Savior, he's a fanatic. And if he hates the power of evil, he's a bigot. It seems like everyone resents limiting our choices just to two. But... In the Sermon on the Mount, in this conclusion, Jesus does exactly that. So let's read verse 13 and 14 together. Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Man, I feel I'm a little heavy. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, are they hearing that? Matthew chapter 7, 13 through 14 reads like this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Let me say that again. Enter, this is Jesus speaking, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, like I said to you earlier, our culture doesn't like just having one choice. We love opportunities. In fact, is there any way we can fuse the opportunities together so that all the choices can be selected? That's kind of where we're going. But Jesus kind of speaks to the center of that issue. And he, Jesus basically says this, there are only two ways. You only have two choices. It's like, well, are you sure there's not a third or there's a fourth or there's another option? There's an I don't know box to check. But Jesus says this. There's only two ways, two gates, two destinations, and two crowds. And I'm just going to briefly mull over this portion. First, he says there are two ways. He says there's the easy way. Finish that out. And then there's the? Let's try it again. He says there's an easy way and then there's a? Nice. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this easy way, what Jesus is saying when he says there's an easy way. The word that he uses for easy means broad, spacious, or roomy. The easy way has no boundaries. Travelers on this road follow their own desires and indulge themselves on the pleasures and passions of this world without restraint. The road is easy because it takes little effort to resist it. But then Jesus says, on the other hand, 
There is a hard road. And this road is narrow. And on this road, there are clear boundaries. Amen. Marked, there are clear boundaries. And these boundaries restrict travelers to the borders of God's word. It's considered hard because its truth imposes limitations on what we may, we may believe and how we may behave. Are you with me? It's considered difficult. It's considered narrow. And this road is considered hard because its boundaries and its limitations, its truth imposes the truth that we can only behave and believe a certain amount of things. Are you with me? Now Jesus says... Not only are there two ways, but there are also two gates. The gate leading to the easy way is wide, while the gate leading to the hard way is narrow. Let's talk about what this wide means real quick. Wide. You know, when you're going through the wide gate that leads to the easy road, Jesus says the on-ramp is really easy. It's not difficult at all. You can bring whatever you want through this gate. You ever went into a, you ever went to the airport and had to check in through the gate? I was just thinking about like check-in, right? So this gate is wide. There's not a real, there's nobody standing there checking in what you can and can't bring. You can bring whatever you want on this trip. Carry-on is unlimited. Now, for some of us that are travelers, that would be a good thing. Well, maybe not, but carry-on is unlimited. You don't have to check things in before you get on this road. You don't have to check your sin. You don't have to check your pride. You don't have to check your ambition. You can even bring along your ego if you want because this gate is wide, and you don't have to check anything in. But on the other hand, where the wide gate is visible and easy to see, the narrow gate is just as easy to miss. And with the wide gate, the carry-on is unlimited. But with the narrow gate, you have to leave things behind. We have to leave our sin behind. We have to leave our selfishness behind. We have to leave our desire to be great in this world behind. And even if necessary, we have to leave some relationships behind. Jesus says there's two ways. There's two gates. And he tells us, and there's two destinations. He said one destination is entered by the wide gate and has an easy road. But its destination is destruction. While the other is a narrow gate with a hard road, but it leads to life. You see, the gate that leads to destruction, what Jesus is saying is, though, saying is this. Even though he does not define the destination in detail, we must assume that this place is hell. Listen to the words of John Stott describing this. I want you to hear these words. God is properly the creator, not a destroyer. And because man was created to live, not to die, seems at least to give us liberty to say that everything good will be destroyed in hell. Love and loveliness, beauty and truth, joy, peace, and hope. Can you imagine if a place where all of that is stripped away? I'm going to say that again. Can you imagine a place? 
Can you imagine a place where love and loveliness, beauty and truth, joy, peace, and hope are taken away forever? I think I've said this before. A lot of times when we get a picture of hell, we get this medieval understanding of hell. I think we get this Dante, Dante's Inferno, I think it is. This kind of idea of these weird, crazy, pitchforked, horned monsters that are poking you and terrorizing you for eternity, right? Um, that's not biblical. Now, that's kind of our culture's understanding of hell, but that's not a biblical. And you see, because those crazy monster poking things, those things are going to be in hell too. Do you understand? Like, hell was create, made for them. They will be there. So they won't be administering this torment or this torture. You know, I, I, I think I might have even said this before, but every time I think about that type of hell, I think about, you know, just kind of like this little devil poking like my eyeball out and then like my eye grows back and gets poked out again for eternity, right? Okay, I know some of you guys aren't as crazy when I used to think of hell and torture, like what's the worst possible pain that, you know, you can imagine? It's like imagine getting your teeth pulled out with no Novocaine for the rest of your life and it just kept coming back and they kept, pull- you know what I'm saying? Like you try, to, you try to psych yourself up, not like I'm going there, but you know, you just like wonder what, how crazy hell could possibly be. But even beyond those things, see hell is not necessarily those things sometimes we use allegories to describe the pain and the torment but what we're really talking about is a place of darkness and despair a place where no lovely thing is a place where no beauty is a place where no truth no joy no peace and no hope is are you with me It's a prospect too awful to contemplate without tears. For the broad road is a suicide road. And that broad road leads to a wide gate, and that wide gate leads to destruction. Are you with me? It says, but there is a narrow road. There's an easy road. There's a hard road with a narrow gate, and it leads to life. And by contrast, the hard way with the narrow gate It leads to the eternal life of Christ, the only life that Jesus can bring. It leads to peace and fellowship with God, starting here on earth with the church and being perfected in eternity. Perfect peace, sharing in God's perfect glory, being fully satisfied and fully fulfilled in relationship with God and one another. Can you imagine, on the other hand, a place where no beauty exists, and on the other hand, a place that is all beautiful, all perfect, all lovely, and all good? See, one road leads to destruction, while the other road leads to life. And then finally, in this section, Jesus says, there are two destinations, and then he says, there are two crowds. Many and few. Are you with me? When it comes to the many, the broad and easy street is a busy intersection filled with travelers of every kind. While in comparison, the narrow and hard way almost feels like it might even be a little deserted at times. The few... Jesus seems to understand that his followers would be a minority movement. And while on one hand, 
While on one road, there would be crowds seemingly laughing and carefree with no thought about their dreaded destination. On the other road, there would be this kind of happy band of people with their backs turned away from the world and their faces looking forward to something greater. So Jesus begins the conclusion to his sermon by telling us there are only two ways, the hard way and the easy way. And that can only be answered through two gates, the narrow gate and the wide gate. And it's only walked on by two crowds, the large crowd and the small crowd, ending in only two destinations, the way of destruction or the way of life. Then Jesus continues. Let's go to verse 15. And we're going to read 15 through 20. Jesus continues with his conclusion. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are you with me? Now, I'm going to just kind of explain this bridge. Jesus goes from telling us that there's only two roads, two gates, two destinations, two types of people that are walking on it. He goes from telling us, look, there's only two choices. You either got the easy one or the hard one. Which one are you going to take? And then he pivots and he talks about false prophets. But the reason why he talks about false prophets, because one of the reasons he wants us to know is this. There are people, preachers, leaders, pastors, communicators in this world that will lead you down the wrong road. A lot of times, many of us are fooled into walking the wrong road because we've read a book or we've listened to somebody influential that has led you astray. And so we are going to be people that want to walk on the right road. And we are going to be people that want to go to the destination of life. And we are to listen to the people that God has given us as truth because there are definitely those that carry a falsehood. Are you with me? Now, I don't know about you. But I know if there are false prophets out there, I'd kind of like to know what they're talking about to make sure that I am not swayed by some of the things that they might be saying. So there's three things that I'm going to talk about in this next section, and then we will conclude. And the first one is this. False prophets exist. The second one is false teaching exists. And then finally, We'll end this portion with guard yourself. False prophets exist. False teachings exist. Guard yourself. Amen? So let's start off with false prophets existing. I want you to know this. Not only did false prophets exist in the Old Testament, but they existed during the time of Jesus too. In fact, Jesus seemed to have regarded some of the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, in the same light as those in the Old Testament that were considered false prophets. You know what Jesus called them? He called them blind leaders leading the blind. But here's what I really want Inspired Church to understand this morning. Jesus not only recognized false prophets of the Old Testament... And he not only saw those false prophets that lived during his ministry on this earth, 
But Jesus also told us this. False prophets would increase the closer that his coming would get. And he said this, that many would be swayed by those false prophets and would be led astray during the last days. So not only were there false prophets in history, in the Old Testament, not only did Jesus say there were false prophets around when he was here, but he also told us, prophesied, and told us to be aware that there will be false prophets in the end times. There will be false prophets. Now, I want you to hear me out. There's one thing that weighs heaviest on my heart as a pastor. If there is one thing that when I go to bed at night keeps me up, if there's one thing in my prayer time that really keeps me awake, other than the salvation of lost souls in our area, it's the protection of believers from being led astray by false teachers and bad doctrine. Are you with me? This is why when we establish this church, you'll see that one of our primary core values is theology. Theology, God's word, understanding God through his word. And this is why the preaching and teaching of God's word is one of my top priorities as a pastor. This is why some of you are probably even here today. Because when you do come, you notice that we go through the word of God and we try to stay as faithful to the text as possible. That's not me tooting my own horn. I'm, you're experiencing a core value that God has placed on my heart when we planted this church. And I have no doubt in my mind that there are many of you in here today because you feel like you're getting a teaching from the word. We must, as a church, value the truth of Scripture. And we must produce leaders and pastors in this church that learn to communicate the truth of Scripture. Because if I bring somebody on stage to communicate the gospel, I'm going to be accountable for what they said to you. Are you with me? <laughs> in these, it's getting really serious right now, but I have like a little like shameful, shameless plug. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know, a little shameless plug. But one of the things that we're thinking about doing, so we do a semester of small groups, right? And uh, after, we like to give our small groups a breather during the summer. We let the homes breathe a little bit. And, um, and so what we do is during, during the end of May, we'll end our small groups. But one of the things that we're really believing for and really trying to do is we're trying to create a midweek service during the summer that will be held most likely here at the Crown Plaza. And, um, well, before you clap, let me, <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're going to do, we're trying to do a, a midweek service here in the summer. And one of my hearts to do during that midweek is not just preach like a Sunday morning, but to be able to have a question and answer and to be able to go through biblical academic understanding of scripture. So there's a lot of us in here. We come to a Sunday and um, some of us don't go to small groups, but then some of you go to small groups and it's just like, man, I still need to know more. I feel like I want to ask questions. I want to learn. And so uh, this summer, we really want to do that. That's why every time we come up here and we say, hey, we're going to collect tithes and offerings. I want you to know it's not all going to my BMW outside. I don't have a BMW, by the way. <laughs> but I want to let you know, theology is part of one of our, is a core value of ours. And every time we collect it, it allows us as a church to be able to equip the believers, equip the saints to understand what's going on. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? And so that's something that we want to do in the summer. And we're believing we're going to be able to be able to afford another, to be able to rent another room out during the week in the summer. And obviously we'll keep you posted as that comes. But again, um, theology, the scripture is my heart. When Jesus says false prophets, 
He uses the word pseudo-prophets or pseudo-apostles or pseudo-teachers. And pseudo simply means lies, lie, false, fake, false prophet, lying prophet, lying teacher, lying apostle. Pseudo means lie. So pseudo-individuals are those who claim divine inspiration and they claim divine authority, but they elevate their words and opinions to the same level of scripture. Are you with me? Jeremiah 23, 16 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They will fill you with false hopes. Now watch. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Let's say that again. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. False teachers exist. But I also want you to know false um, teachings, false teachers exist, but the teachings exist too. And I want you to be aware of the teachings. Scripture warns the elders of the church in Acts 20, 29 through 30. Scripture says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That's crazy. I'm going to say that again. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men. Isn't that crazy? From among you will arise people. Not somebody you don't know, but from within will arise people or men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You, you notice something there? We have to understand that there are people that would rather draw you to themselves than to Jesus. Speaking twisted things, listen, to draw, you, to draw away the disciples after them. There are people who would rather draw you to themselves than draw you to Jesus. So what are these twisted things we must be careful not to receive? Well, there's two that I'm going to talk about today. Number one, I call it one-sided gospel. One-sided gospel. Positive gospel. Listen to this. And please, I want you guys to hear me out. I want you to be equipped so that when you leave this place, these things are running through your mind. When a minister or ministry underemphasizes or denies completely a God who judges while at the same time overemphasizes his grace and mercy, there might be an issue there. Listen to me closely. We serve a God who is equally full of justice and judgment as he is full of love and mercy. In fact, we wouldn't have a revelation of his love unless we had a revelation of his justice. And when you give one without the other, you actually are you're actually giving someone an impartial truth about the whole counsel of God. I can go off on this, but I'm going to try to stick as close to this as possible. Let's go back to Jeremiah 23, 16. Here's what he says. The false prophets, he says this, Jeremiah 23, 16. They fill you with false hopes. Now watch what verse 17 says. They keep saying to those who desire me, the Lord says you will have peace. 
And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. Can I say that again? They say, you will have peace. And to all, this is important, to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, don't worry, no harm will come to you. He loves you. He loves you. But what we don't know is that when we stand before Jesus, and it's just us and him, and he judges us, and there's a possibility that we are, can be condemned to hell, at what point in time are you going to be able to usher in this idea that he loves everybody and he accepts everything? How do we reconcile that on the judgment day? I'm going to tell you how we reconcile that. It's important. He loves us all. He died for every one of us. There's no lie in that. But the truth is, is that if you hold on to your stiff-necked stubbornness and you don't put your faith in Christ, there will be a rejection. The problem with false prophets wasn't that they preached the love of God. The problem with false prophets is that they preached no harm would come to you when you were in your stubbornness. That's why we need to stick close to some of the people that call us out sometimes. You know, sometimes we want to find the people that maybe tell us what we want to hear, but it's always good. I always say this. It's good to have a mirror, right, ladies? We even bring, we even, I mean, I don't know if this happens anymore. You, now you have, I guess, your own, some of you has selfie lights, right? Turn the selfie light. I'm not going to name names. Turn the selfie light. You can see yourself a little better. But the idea behind this little portable mirror is that you can take it everywhere you go and you can pull it out. You can make sure that nothing is out of place. Well, scripture is a mirror, right? And I, I, I preached this a million times before and I'll say it again. How come we love the mirrors when they call out our stuff in the physical, but we deny and walk away from the mirror that calls out, calls out our spiritual? Jesus would say, you hypocrite. You pull out a mirror because something's out of place and you don't want to walk into a place and God forbid you don't look good. God forbid you got something in your teeth, something in your nose, right? You pull that mirror out, it helps you out, it corrects things. We're not angry at the physical mirror, but we get very rebellious and angry towards the spiritual mirror. Are you with me? Again, God says in Jeremiah 6, 14, this is crazy part right here. Here's, listen to God. Can you hear God's heart in this? He says this. They have healed the wound of my people as though it is not serious, saying peace, peace, where there is no peace. You know what God is saying? I did not tell you to say everything was okay. I did not tell you to say that it was all good, that it was all peaceful. I called you to speak truth in their life. Everything is not okay. It is not all peaceful. But what you're doing by telling them my word is everything is okay and it's all peaceful, you're allowing them to remain comfortable in their stubbornness. In Jeremiah, it's really, you should read through Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, the Lord has become increasingly frustrated with false prophets who are giving his people a false sense of security by preaching to them a healing without a repentance from sin. Can I say that again? Here in Jeremiah, God is becoming frustrated with false prophets who are giving his people a false sense of security by preaching to them a healing without a repentance from sin. Many times people confuse healing with making you feel better about yourself. And this leads us into our next point. Number one, we talked about 
the one-sided gospel, kind of a half-truth. Number two, talk about an amoral gospel. We must be careful not to follow or agree with any teaching that is permissible to sin rather than holding sin accountable. It's not an accident that Jesus warns us about false prophets immediately following his teaching about two gates, two ways, two crowds, and two destinations. You know what false prophets are good at? They're good at blurring the issue of salvation. Some muddy the gospel up so much that they might make it hard for seekers to find the narrow gate. While other false teachers try and to convince us that the way is much broader than Jesus implied. While there are still some others that are bold enough to contradict Jesus entirely, convincing us in books, talk shows, and other forms of communication that all roads lead to life. And that somehow Jesus was wrong when he said there's only one way to the Father. I, want you to, I don't want you to walk out of here this morning thinking of the lie that all roads lead to God. All religions lead to Jesus. Just be a good person. That is so far from the truth. And if you're listening to anyone or anything that believes that or agrees with that, I want you to tell you that's false. They're contradicting Jesus. Here's a hard truth for Inspire. I have a concern for some of us in here this morning. No one in particular, but I just have a general concern in my heart while I was praying. I think it's possible for some of us, and it's possible that some of us have been already persuaded by this anything goes, all roads lead to Jesus approach. And in an effort to be loving, you've actually become permissible to sin. Please hear me out. Loving doesn't mean not offending, all accepting. But it's an understanding that our sin nailed Christ to the cross. And that unless we repent and call on the name of the Lord Jesus, we won't be saved. In fact, Paul warns a young pastor by the name of Timothy. When I read Timothy, I always just think the Apostle Paul is just talking to me. Paul warns a young pastor named Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter three, 4, verse 3 through 4. He says this, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. You guys reading this? this is the Bible. I just want to let you know this is the Bible. Okay? So you can be angry at the Bible. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around for themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Isn't that amazing? The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires. Isn't that amazing how he put that in there? Instead, to suit their own desires. They will gather around for themselves teachers that will say things that they want to hear. That means that there will be some churches 
there will be some communities and some congregations that will kick out men of truth and bring in men that will say what they want them to say. That is a judgment in itself. Can you imagine being led under a leader that's leading you astray? Lastly, this leads my last point. We must guard ourselves. Amen? Now, there's uh, two analogies that will help us stay vigilant and that will help us test false teaching. Two analogies. Jesus says there's a concept of wolves in sheep's clothing, and then he talks about trees bearing fruit, right? I don't know if you guys caught that. Talked about wolves in sheep's clothing, and then he talks about trees bearing fruit. Well, let's talk about wolves in sheep's clothing. You see, during the time of Christ, wolves were the natural enemies of the sheep. And did you know the sheep were defenseless? Did you know sheep couldn't do nothing? You ever put a sheep up against wood? It just won't happen. They were defenseless. Nothing within itself can protect. Do you understand? The wolf versus the sheep is just not, it's just not possible. The, there's nothing the sheep can do. It can't claw. It can't fight back. Its wool doesn't do anything cool. You know, you like, right? It's, it's just there to get destroyed, right? There is nothing. So left alone, the wolves would destroy the sheep. But the sheep had a secret weapon, and that was the good shepherd. The only chance the sheep had against the wolf was in the presence of a good shepherd. And I want you to know Jesus is our good shepherd. And good shepherds watch for wolves. Likewise, pastors, elders, and leaders follow the example of Christ by first guarding themselves from error and second protecting the flock. Jesus tells us, you know, it's really interesting. Jesus says the flock can be guarded by one of three types of people. He says good shepherds, paid laborers, or wolves. Every flock can be guarded by one of three types of people. Good shepherd, wolves, or paid laborers. He says the good shepherd feeds the flock with the word of God. The good shepherd talks about the love of God. But the good shepherd also talks about the justice of God. The good shepherd talks about the mercy of God, the compassion of God, Christ nailed to the cross, taking your place. But the good shepherd also warns that if you don't put your faith in that Christ, if you don't put your hope in that Christ, if you don't put your trust in Jesus Christ, that all of that is nullified. That the blessing and inheritance that we receive as sons and daughters of God are if we say yes to Christ. Because he paid it all for our sins. You see, the good shepherd understands the balance between the two, never erasing one or the other. The good shepherd is both graceful and truthful. Because if he's over-graceful, then he's given you permission to sin. And if he's over-truthful, then he's just beat you over the head with a hammer. And it's not ministered to healing of the love of God. Are you with me? Jesus came full of what? Grace and truth. Then there are paid laborers. You know what he says about paid laborers? <laughs> he says they take care of the sheep, but when the wolves come, they abandon the sheep to the wolves. You know what paid laborers? They're only doing it for themselves. They're doing it for the what? They're doing it for the money, not for the passion. Not for the love of the sheep, not for the call of the good shepherd. They're doing it because they can get something out of it. 
And you know how you can tell the difference between a laborer and a good sheep? Or a good, she- good sheep, a good shepherd? This is how you can tell the difference. Is that the good shepherd will fight when the fight comes. But the paid laborers say, I'm out of here. It's not worth it. Are you with me? And lastly, he talks about wolves. But these wolves are dangerous because they look like sheep. They're dressed in sheep's clothing. Paul says, from among you will rise false teachers and wolves. I want you to know wolves are deceptive. You know, a false teacher doesn't come in and say, hey, everybody, just want to let you know I'm a false teacher. So for the next 25 minutes, I'm just going to speak to you from the word, and it's going to be totally false. They don't announce themselves as liars. So then we must be on what? On guard. We must pray for discernment. Not being enticed by outward appearances, even though I look kind of nice. Not being enticed by charm, even though I could be kind of charming every once in a while. But not being enticed by accomplishments, high level of degrees. All of that means nothing. We must test all things. Doesn't matter how well they present themselves or they communicate. Well, I just really love that pastor because the other pastor was stuffy, boring. I was falling asleep. The other pastor was preaching the word, and the other guy was just talking out of the side of his mouth. Isn't that crazy? Some people are choosing pastors because of their charisma and not because of the truth of God's word. That is scary. But the Bible tells us that we will heap up for ourselves People that will teach us and preach to us a word that tickles and itches our ears. Because that's what we prefer. Thank you, brother. Amen to that. Then he goes on. He talks about wolves in sheep's clothing. And then he talks about tree bearing fruit. He's, you know, it's crazy. Even though a wolf can hide, a tree can't hide. <laughs> Right After a while, it's going to grow fruit, and you're going to be like, ah, you're not an orange tree. There's an apple, right? You know what I mean? Like a tree can't fake it. After a while, it grows fruit. You kind of, you understand what I'm saying? After some time, you can tell that this isn't an orange tree. It's an apple tree. So what are these fruits that we are to look for? Well, number one, the first one is the fruit of character and conduct. Fruitfulness means Christ-likeness, or what Paul calls the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We can trust men, and we can trust women that look like Christ, that walk like Christ, that display the unique attributes of Jesus, that on display is the character of God. Well, what are the fruits of the Spirit? Galatians 5, 22 through 23 says love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Forbearance will be patience. You see, when we see a pastor, an elder, or a leader who is kind and gentle, showing self-control and patience, then we have reason to trust them. Likewise, when we see a rude, impatient, unkind, unable to be hospitable, and their leaders or pastors, then we should sit back and ask the Spirit, I'm not quite sure if that's a leader that I need to trust. Are you with me? Are you guys with me? That's why it's important for some of us that aspire to leadership at this church. For some of us that feel like God has a call on us, it's so important to make sure that we walk in the character and conduct of God. 
There are some people that think they're going to be true prophets and they're actually false, but they don't even know that they're carrying a wrong message. But they've been so, they have been so encapsulated by the world and the things of this world that they don't understand that the message they're even propagating or communicating is not even the message that God wants them to give. On the other hand, whenever the fruit of the Spirit is missing and the works of the flesh are apparent, then we know that little sirens have come up. What are the fruits of the flesh? Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says this, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, did I say that right? Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envying, murder, drunkenness, revelings. When we see that in a leader, we're justified to not trust them. It's an imposter. Now, some of us are probably struggling through some of these things. Some of you are probably like, oh. You know what? The, I want you to know that the Spirit of God has called you out of that, that you're a new creation, and that there's a thing called justification. When you say yes to Jesus, he instantly justifies you before the Lord. And there's a thing called sanctification. is You grow in holiness. You don't get holy overnight. I'm not necessarily talking to you that's on your journey, although I'm saying, hey, stay on your journey. Some of you are like, I'm just on my journey. I'm like, girl, you've been at that level for like 10 years now. I'm not quite sure you're on a journey. I think you stopped and you're compromising. Can I just be honest? Right? Some people are like, oh, because when I say journey, I have to be careful because then I don't want to, yeah, I'm on my journey. I'm like, you've been on that journey for a long time. You're not producing fruits of repentance. I'm going to question your salvation. Well, don't judge me. No, we can go back. You guys, I got it on podcast. We can talk about that. <laughs> so we have testing a tree by its fruits. We have the fruit of character and conduct, right? And then this final one is the fruit of the message or the doctrine that's being spoken. So not only are we to look at the man and how the man conducts their lives or the woman conducts her life, but then we are also, we are also to look at what is coming out of them. Because some of you know it could be somebody that's sweet, that's nice, that's kind, that's gentle and all of that, but they could be saying things that don't line up with the word of God. Are you with me? And we're going to conclude here. If you have your notes, this next part I really would love for you guys to write down. If you're not taking notes, I would really love for you guys just to understand this next part. This is the fruit of the message and the doctrine of what they're speaking. We have a responsibility to test the teacher by their teacher, by their teaching. Remembering all doctrine must be brought to the word of God as a standard. The word of God is a standard. I'm going to say that again. The word of God is a standard. The word of God is the standard. Now, I want to give you four truths today that you can walk out of here with practically. And when you read, uh, whether you're reading something, you're listening to something, I want you to be able to just understand these truths so that you can test things. Are you with me? Number one, Scripture is greater than experience. Scripture is greater than experience. I know your experiences are important. They happen to you, but I want you to know that Scripture is the government which standardizes and looks at and scrutinizes and tests all experiences. 
Now, I'm going to say some things without saying some things. I'm hoping you read between the lines so we could just be a better people. I'm not up here to call ministries out and organizations out or whatnot, but I want you to hear me out. And then you could go home and disagree with me. That's between you and the Lord. But once I say, I'm like, all right, Lord, I do what I need to do. Scripture is greater than experience. I want you to know that sometimes my heart is grieved because there are some ministries out there that teach their experiences instead of testing their experiences. There are too many teachers and leaders who are quick to define God or godly truth based upon a dream or a vision or an encounter or a voice rather than his word. Here's a good rule of thumb. Anytime you're listening, podcasting to something, and they spent 45 minutes talking about their personal experience, they haven't really brought in any truth of scripture, I would just, it doesn't matter how Christian they say they are, I'd probably turn that one off. And that's what I believe. I'll I'll just drop that in your spirit. Let the word of God define your experiences, but don't let your experiences define the word of God. Now, you may have a dream. Amen. You may have a vision. You may have some things that you think God has spoken to you. But before you run and say it's God, go to your word or go to somebody who's trusted in the word and line up what you what you dreamed about and line up what you thought with the word of God. Can I get an amen? Because it could possibly be the burrito you had the other night. Just really crazy. It just uh, you were seeing things. Things were speaking to you. Oh, my gosh, it was the Lord. No, it was the burrito. And if somebody prays over you or says, you know what, I just feel like the Lord is saying this, this, and that. Before you hold on to it, it's true. Take it and test it. Please, let us be a testing church. Now, I'm, if someone could pray over you and speak God's word, I love it. I'm totally for it. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But what I'm saying is it does not usurp the authority of Scripture. I mean, how many, you know, an angel visits you and gives you a revelation. No, angels don't do that. Read Scripture. If people, ministries are walking around saying that they got revelation because angels have come and told them this and that. I'm like, so Joseph Smith had an angel tell him about Mormonism. We're not Mormon. They're not followers of Christ. The truth, the gospel. Okay, I'm doing too much. I can see it. I can see it on your faces. No, pastor, don't tell me the truth. I'm just kidding with you guys. This is, but this is my heart right here. Number two, apprehension over comprehension. What do I mean by that? Maybe you've heard this before. God is too big for us to understand. Think of it. Let's get outside of our box with God. Anytime someone says, I'm like, what you're really saying is, I'm going to go outside of the Bible and explain some things that the Bible doesn't say. Because he's so big, right? Like, we can't understand him. So I'm going to teach this whole new doctrine. And I'm going to throw three scriptures in there somewhere. I want you to know this, that although we cannot comprehend God, it's very, that's a true statement. It's not an excuse to bring in a thought or a doctrine about God that is not validated by scripture. I want you to know, although God may not be comprehended, he can be apprehended. Why did he give us his word then? Why did he give us his word? Why did he give us his revelation? He didn't just give us his word. But he gave us himself. 
He walked this earth. So we don't need someone to tell us something new, something different, something like, no, 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 we got it. Everything he wants us to know about him, we got it. Yeah, there's things I don't know about him, but I'm not going to create doctrines around it. I'm not going to teach it because we need to learn this thing right here. Like before I spend my time teaching you some foreign doctrine that I can't even, that I got in a dream, I'm actually going to spend my time talking about, the, why does he go through the Sermon on the Mount? It's been 11 weeks. Let's talk about something else. Like, no, we're going to go through the word. And there are other churches you can go to, and it's totally fine. Well, maybe not, and we can talk about that. But there are other places you can go to. I'm just saying that we're going to go through the word. And when I go before Jesus, and I go before the good shepherd, because I'm just a steward. At the end of the day, there's only one good shepherd. I just steward his church. But when I step before the good shepherd, I'm going to probably err on the side of, you know what, I just preach your word, God. If I'm going to make an error, it's going to be, I'm going to talk about the Bible way too much. Are you with me? Number three, same is greater than new. <laughs> same is greater than new. What do I mean by that? There's nothing new about God that he wants you to, man, I got this new revelation about God. Nobody's heard this one yet. I'm like, man, you, we're going to pray. I'm going to rebuke that. <laughs> There's nothing new. I got some new stuff for you, you know? I got some new stuff. I remember I used to preach, and we, uh, we used to, like, travel around and preach. And, Chris, you kind of remember this. And we were young preachers, and we, you know, we, we kind of lived for the amens, you know what I mean, and the responses. If no one responded, we failed. You know, if everyone responded, people were crying. You're like, yeah, that was a great service. We were totally measuring off of emotion, right? That was just kind of our hearts, and we were learning and whatnot. But the whole idea was, like, well, let's, let's read the Scripture and find something new, something that hasn't been said before. Ooh, that's good. I've never heard that before. If you've never heard that before, and Christianity has been around for 2,000 years now, like every man of God has preached every sermon possible, right? If you hear something kind of new, most likely it's probably wrong. If you're in a ministry that's teaching you something new, a new revelation, I want you to know that it's most likely error. Repetition is the mother of all learning, but we don't want to repeat ourselves in church. We've been too long on the Sermon on the Mount, Pastor Phil. It's, it's just like, no, I'm going to preach 11 weeks of it again until you get it. What if we just preached the Sermon on the Mount forever? Would you stop coming? Gosh, he always preaches the Sermon on the Mount. Well, you know what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Walk the narrow, like, we could just preach that. Okay. This is going to be on podcast. This is not good. We all need to know about him. Everything we need to know about him has already been revealed, okay? And no greater revelation has come than Jesus himself, guys. I mean, God himself said, you know what? I'm going to put some humanity skin on. I'm going to come down. I'm going to walk with them, and we're going to talk, and I'm going to die for them. Like, there's nothing new that you need to know. Are you with me? And then finally, number four, and then um, if I could have kind of worship team just come up, is... um, Healthy is better than being malnourished. Um, I just want to say this. Um, read your Bible. <laughs> read it regularly. Study your Bible. Study it regularly. You know, um, you guys might have heard this before. It's a pretty popular um, illustration. and I'm sure we've all got it from somewhere. I think every pastor may have given this illustration, but... Um, one of the ways that banks train their employees to detect counterfeits is they give them the real thing. And they say, study the real thing. That's it. You know, there's like 
all kinds of different counterfeits that are out there, right? I mean, there's so many different things that come before a bank employee. And imagine if we had to study like all 50 counterfeits. It'd just be so hard to understand. I say, well, the best way to know something is counterfeit is to know the real thing in and out. The best thing to know something in counterfeit is not to study every counterfeit imaginable. It's to take the real thing and to look at it closely over and over and over again. You know, and uh, um, I'm always looking for opportunities to preach the mission and vision of this church. You know, uh, our mission of this church is real simple. It's to reach people for Jesus and to build people in Jesus. Um, and again, this is not a, um, please don't take, this is an encouragement, not a slap or anything else, but we've built this church so that we could study God's word on Sunday. And then throughout the week, you can go and talk about it again because repetition is important. We've tried to create a space in our American culture. That's so busy, right? We got kids, we got places to go, right? We got little league, (laughs) right? We got to go do this. We got to make dinner. We got to do this. There's traffic in California. You have to understand, Philip. It's so difficult for me to get to a small group. Like it's so difficult, right? And then we got persecuted churches that are praying and worshiping for 20 years every night, right? So sometimes I think maybe in our society we're a little, we have a little too much. We got Netflix. We got a lot of things. You know, there's a little too much to get in the way. And so instead of us becoming a community that understands the real, we kind of just Sunday to Sunday. It's a good word, Pastor Phil. May I'll podcast it there. Maybe, maybe I'll go to small group. Maybe I won't. Again, I don't want to chastise. I want to encourage. And I want to challenge. But I'm a challenger. You know that. That's why some of you are here. But I want to challenge. We do this, and it's part of our culture, not because we just want to provide something for you to do, but it's important for us to be able to create a space where you can get with the community and you can kind of rehash the word. And maybe you can't do it because you're busy, and I know we have American lives and we're very busy people. Then you know that you need to create your own space. Create your own space. You have the podcast, you have your notes. Get your family together. Be the priest of your home, men of God, and say, well, we can't go to a small group. We're going to have one in our house. Wow. Is that too much? Is that too much to ask? Because here's what I'm telling you. I'm just simply saying study the real thing so you, won't be, so you won't be pulled away from the false. That's why we do these things here, you know? And so narrow is the way that leads to life. It's hard, the gates narrow, not many go, but it leads to life. But wide is the gate. I mean, isn't that scary? Wide is the gate. Easy is the way. Many go this way, and it leads to destruction. That wasn't my words. That was Jesus saying that. I think that word alone should pierce our hearts. And should cause us to evaluate our priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And everything else will be added. Let's pray. Inspired Churches aims to be a church that the city loves. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Come back next week as Pastor Philip continues on the six-part series. For more information about how you can get involved or about our community, visit www.inspirechurches.com.